This episode of To The Point is sponsored by Tarsus. Tarsus Pharmaceuticals applies proven science and new technology to revolutionize treatment for patients, starting with eye care. Tarsus is advancing its pipeline to address several diseases with high unmet need across a range of therapeutic categories, including eye care, dermatology, and infectious disease prevention. Tarsus is proud to announce that Xdemvi Lotolaner Ophthalmic Solution 0.25% is now available to prescribe. Welcome to PupilPod, where we use clinical cases to guide discussions on board review topics. I'm your host, Scylla Ball, and my guest today is Dr. Robert Melendez. Dr. Melendez is a cataract and refractive surgeon out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the founder of the Juliet Eye Institute. Dr. Melendez, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, Scylla, for the invitation. Of course. So we'll jump right into the case. This is a 32-year-old woman with a history of high myopia that comes to your office for evaluation of refractive surgery. Dr. Melendez, which patients are good candidates for an ICL, and how do you decide to choose an ICL versus traditional corneal refractive surgery? Sheila, this is a classic case that I see in my patients. Uh, I do a lot of refractive surgery from cornea to lens-based type surgery. Of course, the ICO or the implantable columnar lens that we call it, and sometimes we'll loosely call it the implantable contact lens because patients tend to understand that term and resonate it with a little bit better. Uh, but it's really based off of that proprietary technology that Star Surgical made called the columnar material. It's the collagen material. It's biocompatible with the eye. Uh, it, they came out with a newer one just this uh, past year in 2022 called the Evo ICL that has five ports uh, in the actual lens or five holes. Port sounds just a little bit more sophisticated when you're talking to patients. So that's how we uh, share that with patients. So generally speaking, when a patient comes in and if they're nearsighted, most of the time we're, we're either doing LASIK or SMILE. But in the cases where a patient comes in with higher levels of nearsightedness and they have thinner corneas, those patients tend not to be very good cornea-based uh, surgery candidates. So we have a great phacic IOL option called the ICL, as you mentioned. And so these, this particular patient would probably be a better ICL candidate. There's a lot of criteria that I'm sure we're, we can talk about what I'm really looking for, contraindications and indications. Great. So you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but can you review some of the types of phacic IOLs for our audience who might be preparing for boards and see some of these ICLs in clinic? Sure. There are three phacic IOLs available in the U.S. There are, are uh, two that are the PMMA variety. Uh, these are iris fixated uh, ICLs that are placed in front of the iris. They essentially uh, clasp onto the surface of the iris as opposed to the EVO ICL is behind the iris or in the sulcus. 
And we alluded to this already, but I know that you have to do a pretty thorough preoperative workup for these patients. What are some things that you're looking for and what are the crucial elements of the preoperative workup? Absolutely. So we, we do numerous uh, testing from topography to tomography. We primarily use a Pinacam in every patient. What we're looking specifically for is the white to white because that's a number that's, that we're going to submit to the company to determine which lens to actually put in the patient's eye along with their stable refraction within one year. should be 0.5 doctors or less within that first year. And then next as we start moving a little farther into the eye from the front in, front in to the back of the eye rather is the anterior chamber depth. Uh, that should be greater than three millimeters. Uh, according to the FDA data, it, it was at three millimeters. Some surgeons will go down to two nine, but for testing purposes, you, you really want to remember that 3.0 millimeter or greater for, to qualify for the ICL. You want enough space for that lens to fit in the, the, in the sulcus. You don't want it too close to the lens and you don't want it too far. You want that about a millimeter thickness of the cornea uh, that we call it, called, called the vault. Great. And in terms of the endothelial cell count, I know there was a lot of talk previously about getting specular microscopy versus not. What are you kind of doing in your practice? Do you think there's any utility to getting specular microscopy? I think it's it's very important to, to still get it. I, I do that on every patient, so thanks for reminding me uh, about that. There's a really good table on the American Academy of Ophthalmology's website, iWiki, looking at, at ICLs. And uh, it's based on age, really, that you're looking for cell density cutoff. So there's not a, a true magical number. But looking at that specific table, uh, that's, that's what's recommended by, by Star Surgical as well. And I know that you said that you look at the white-to-white. -white. People have kind of different ways of getting the white-to-white. -white. Do you like manual measurement with calipers? Do you prefer looking at the Pentacam white-to-white? Do you prefer maybe biometry white to white? Mm -hmm. So what I what I use uh, at this point is the white to white from the Pentacam. Um, I used to use a, a manual caliper. You know, it's kind of eyeballing it a little bit, and you're you're technically off a little bit. And as as eye surgeons, we want everything to be as perfect as possible. And I just felt like it, it, I felt like as if I was marking back in the day. You know, this is like ten years ago with with the marker on the eye for a toric lens. I'm like. Don't we have anything more sophisticated in our armamentarium? And we do. Uh, same thing here. I don't. I, I don't like the manual calipers anymore. When you were doing the manual calipers, were you laying patients back and doing yes. it with them flat? Okay, that's what I've been seeing as well. So I was just wondering if people still do that. But I think most people have transitioned to the Pentacam. Nothing wrong with being old school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we we always want you know two to three data points, and uh, there's nothing wrong with with doing that. But I I did it a, a, enough to realize that the uh, Pentacam was really more accurate. And in terms of counseling these patients, obviously, you know, there's a lot of reluctance in the community about having an intraocular surgery. What are some of the th things that you discuss with your patients pre-op and then maybe post-op after they've had an ICL? Sure. The uh, most important thing that I tell patients is that it's my job as your surgeon to make sure that your eyes are very healthy. So I want to do a complete eye examination. Of course, these patients should be dilated. That's one of the eight steps of the complete exam, of course. And because they, they tend to be very high myopes, they're at a much higher risk for retinal detachments without the surgery, just them being how, how nearsighted they are. So it's important to dilate them, examine their, their retinas, 
If you have any concerns, then refer the patient to a retina specialist and have someone else take a second look. We also do fundus photography on all of our consults. It's kind of a wow factor for, for, for the patients, but I'm really doing it just to have a, a second look in addition to my first look. Um, so we, we talk about the potential risks of ICL. They're very low, but, but you need to know that you're putting a lens in someone's eye in front of the natural lens, of course, in the sulcus, which is, of course, that space between the iris and the natural lens. And so there's a risk of angle closure glaucoma, very, very low. Pressure spikes, it's very, very low with, with the new EVO ICL. I have not seen one case yet with pressure spikes, like in, in the past when we didn't have any holes in, in the ICL that required a laser peripheral iridotomy prior to the surgery, which, which oftentimes was painful in patients. So what we're looking for on examination is, one, we require a complete eye examination, which includes dilation. You want to evaluate that, that patient's retina status. Because they're high myopes, generally speaking, for ICL candidates, these patients are at a much higher risk for retinal detachments, just generally speaking. It's a very low risk of a retinal detachment documented in patients that have an ICL implanted. Um, there's other risks involved, such as endothelial cell loss, so measuring the, the cell count prior uh, and then tracking that over time if there's any evidence of corneal decomposition would be helpful. Uh, pressure spikes, of course, could potentially happen. That's a much lower risk with this newer ICL device that came out in 2022, now called the EVO ICL. Uh, because this new lens has five ports, it now allows fluid to flow through the lens implant and to, to minimize angle closure. Uh, and then, of course, the other issue is that we're, we're always concerned about you know cataracts. That lens is intimately uh, involved with with the natural lens, but fortunately, the way that the the design of this fake lens face, fake lens is rather is the center part or the optic portion of the lens, which is the true magnification of the lens, is vaulted anteriorly, so it doesn't have a lot of contact with the lens itself. The uh, haptic portion of the lens itself does have a little bit more. Uh, intimate closeness, if, if you will, to the native lens. Absolutely. As fellows, when we're first learning to tuck the haptics under, I think that's one of the more nerve-wracking parts of placing the ICL because one wrong move and you can nick the anterior capsule. Can you walk us through some surgical pearls that you've learned? Are you using OVD? How much OVD? Anything that you have in your sage wisdom and surgical experience that you can share with the audience? I think the, the most important thing is to make sure that the patient's comfortable, make sure they have adequate sedation because you want them to feel relaxed. Um, most of these, these patients, and I would say 99% of them, dilate so well that uh, it, it makes the surgery easier. Just know that the patient's going to do well. You're going to do great. You have all of the uh, skills in your toolbox, so to speak, to do a great job. Once those things are, are set up, then you want to be comfortable in the chair. Make sure that, that the patient's uh, you know, properly uh, seated for you so you have a good, good approach. And that initial paracentesis wound that you're making, um, I, I only do one paracentesis wound. Some, some people like to do two one going in one direction, the other one kind of going in the opposite direction. That initial paracentesis that you make, you want to make sure that that's angled in the right direction, number one, and number two, it's at the right angle. Sometimes if you, if you angle too much, a little more posterior, the, the, the angle is off a little bit. And you're, then you're going to contort the wound and cause corneal stria, and that's going to affect your visualization 
during the actual surgery process. The other thing as you, once you're done with that, we'll, we'll use some preservative-free lidocaine uh, in the anterior chamber followed with some Provisc. Um, and that, I, I just inject that nice and slowly um, and then I, I make my uh, temporal wound. Uh, and I, I tell patients there's only three steps to this surgery. And you're really only part of two of them that you have to worry about. The first step, I'm just going to fill your eye with some jelly substance, some viscoelastic material. And the second step, I'm going to be on the back table um, placing your, your lens in a cartridge in a device that we're going to put in your eye that's custom order for your eye. It's a custom lens for you. Uh, and the, the patients feel good that, wow, this is a custom, almost like a custom contact lens. And then the third step is we're going to place the lens into position where it needs to be in the sulcus and remove some of that jelly, and then we're done. Uh, it, it does sound simple. Um, of course, there's a lot of little mini steps to your point, uh, the, all those little pearls. Um, I, I would say that one common thing that, that I see when you're initially going in, making that paracentesis wound and placing the viscoelastic material, is you can sometimes get a small decimate tear uh, at that point. I, I wish I had a fix for that. There, there are times that, that I, I have that. Uh, it frustrates me. Um, it, it rarely has any long-term implications to the uh, patient, but you know, aesthetically, I don't like it, uh, and, I, and I haven't been able to uh, prevent that. Now, I do a lot of cataract surgery. I've done it for 20 years. I rarely have that with my cataract surgery, so I'm not sure why I'm seeing that a little bit more frequently in our ICL patients. Refractive surgeons, always the perfectionists. Everything has to be absolutely perfect. What would you say in terms of having to explant ICLs? Have you had to do a lot of those? Maybe people coming in from the community. What is the indication for that? Is it because of endothelial cell decompensation or other causes? So I have explanted a fair amount of, uh, of the older original ICL uh, lens. Typically in patients who are older, uh, they're in their 50s, they're presbyopic. Um, I've had several that are a little bit older now, have some cataracts and are bothered by like a anterior cortical cataract and maybe just a mild nuclear sclerotic type cataract. Those patients do very, very well. It's, it's, it's very easy to explant it. What I do is I'll go in there, uh, place a little bit of visco underneath the, the lens, kind of prolapse it up, and then just go in with some, with some hemostats and it's, it's so pliable, the, the, the material, um, it, you can easily grasp it and kind of just pull it right out. But when I do go in for, for my main wound creation, I will go in and widen that interior lip of the wound just a little bit just to help facilitate it. And um, so I, I'll initially grab it with, with some forceps, and then I'll have another set of forceps after that to re-grasp it because it will slip, slip off and and you'll you'll get frustrated so be ready with the second set of, of forceps to actually re remove it but i haven't had to explant an icl in, in any of my younger patients yet fortunately that's great to hear it sounds like the evo icl is a really great solution for our high myopic patients Final question related to this case, and that is, how do you manage these patients postoperatively? What drops are you using and for how long, and when do you kind of see them for follow-up? Sure. So um, early on, and this was based on the on the older ICL, we, we'd see them two to three hours afterwards, recheck pressure. Most of them had high pressures. Um, now with the EVO ICL, we initially did see them two hours on the same day of surgery to, to measure the pressure. Uh, but... 
everyone's pressure has been really good. And so I see them one day now, see them one week, one month. Um, we use compounded drops in all of our lens-based type surgeries, which has a, a steroid antibiotic and an anti-inflammatory uh, dro um, drop mixed into one three times a day for three weeks. Uh, we haven't had any issues with pressure or rebound iritis uh, or, or any issues like that. And that, that seems to work very, very well. And I would say a majority of our patients the next day are 2020 to 2015 the next day, either with the ICL lens or the ICL toric lens implants. It's really incredible what we can do, truly. It's Dr. Awesome. Melendez, before we end the episode, I ask all of my guests, if you could have dinner with one person from any time or place in the history of humanity, who would it be? I would have to say uh, President Ronald Reagan, uh, one of my favorite uh, presidents. I uh, visited um, the Presidential Library Museum in, in Simi Valley, California, uh, Air Force Ones in that uh, museum. But uh, Ronald Reagan, you know, he was a, he was a classy guy. And uh, I, like, I like classy people, people that think of others first, people that, that want to put others first. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't know him personally, but at least that's, that's the vibe that I, I took from him. Well, as a young ophthalmologist, I can certainly say that you're an inspiring leader for all of us. Dr. Melendez, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for everyone else. We'll see you next time on The Pupil Pod.